0: Welcome to what is one of my favorite episodes of Imperfect Action. Today is a little bit of an experiment. It's a little bit different. We have a serious business conversation about play. And to do so, I have three guests on the show at once. Two of them from the States, one of them from Australia. All have been previous guests before. We've got Gary Ware, Jeff Harry, Stephen Bramble. And we talk about play and business and fun and joy, compassion, accountability We talk about play as a culture-changing act of rebellion, the impact that it has on business, the impact that it has on the world, the impact that it has on ourselves. We talk about failing gracefully. We talk about what works well in leadership right now. We talk about treating business as an infinite game. What if there were no finish line to business? How would we treat things differently? Anyway, this is, as I say, one of my favorite episodes. It is both joyful, playful, playful and serious. And I realize that's more than two. I said both, but hey, we'll go with three things, right? Anyway, uh, welcome to the episode. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Look forward to hearing your thoughts about it. You know, in fact, as we say here on the show, let's play bigger, do better, move the world. All right, well, welcome to Imperfect Action. Uh, this episode's gonna be a little bit different, a little bit of anarchy, a little bit of chaos, and a whole lot of fun. So we have, what well, we're doing something different. Normally, I just have one guest. Today, I have three guests, and they're all returning guests. And so we have Gary, Gary Ware. He was episode number 66. Um, and we talked about strategic fun. And this was like a year ago, back in May 2019. Uh, Jeff Harry, episode 70, and he and I talked about re- rediscovering who you are, and that was in June 2019. So it's been a little while. And then we've got Stephen Bramble. He was on in January. He was episode number 84, and which was also a top 10 episode. And he talked about finding your voice. So a little bit similar to what Jeff talked about and a little bit different. And the, the uniting theme behind these three guys is they have the best business cards. And, and so job title-wise, Gary, he has strategic play consultant on his. Jeff has play wizard, at least somewhere <laughs> in all the titles. And uh, Stefan just has fun guy, you know, so it kind of sums it all up right there. Yes. And so to me, I'm just fascinated by this, where we talk about strategy and fun and play and who you are and bring it all together. And so I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go Um, I'm hoping to be able to rein it in and keep a little bit of the madness at bay but I don't know because we've already delved there before I hit record anyway uh, let's talk a little bit so um, in my episode with Jeff we talked about life as a dance not a race and I love that and I'm actually going to look to Gary how does that
1: relate to your work Um, life is a dance not a race well, for the work that I do, you know, I'm all about trying to help individuals and companies utilize the power of play to just help them up level everything. And if you think about a race and you're running a race, you are trying like to get to point A to point B and you're probably competing against people. And I personally hate running and it's probably tired and exhausting and, and it's miserable. Who, who, who the hell wants to be in a miserable race? And if you think about work, there is no, like, work and business, there's no end, mm-hmm. like, to business. It's not mm-hmm. like, we just won business, business over. Like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you think about games, you know, there is a philosophy, infinite and finite games. Mm-hmm. Um, business is an infinite game in that your goal is not necessarily to beat your competitor. Your goal is to stay in business. And there is, a like, an infinite you know, different possibilities, infinite time that you can be in business. So I like the whole Mm. idea that life is a dance in that how can we do a few things? One, enjoy the process. I love dancing way more than I love running. Two, um, you know, how can we engage other people? So it's more like Mm. a rave, like where we're all like sort of just rocking out together um, and usually lists have three things.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, now now do a third. Now do a third. Yeah, yeah. Three. Time.
1: Three. How can it like how can we get into this flow like where it doesn't yes. feel like work? So mm-hmm. yes, I, I, I love life is a, a dance, not a race. Oh
2: All right, Gary, so, and, and, that was some solid improvisation <laughs> that there. That was, was amazing. Beautiful. I
3: just love you
0: again, Gary. Woo. So, so Stefan is coming to us from the future. He's in Melbourne, and it's uh, mm-hmm. n- <laughs> next morning. We're recording this mm-hmm. on uh, Thursday the 16th, but for him, it's Friday the 17th. So, mm-hmm. good news, everyone. As he pointed out, the world made it that far. Made it to Friday. Yep. Yes. yep. Now, uh, so, so Stefan, actually, I, I had a question lined up based on what Gary said, and then you already got me sidetracked. And, and so... <laughs>
2: Well, can I, uh, like, I was actually listening to Gary and I was thinking, (laughs) as good facilitators do, you're like, ah, if that was thrown to me, how would I make an answer in two seconds? And Gary, you're actually stuck with one of the rules that I've learned from a person who trained me in facilitation, is if you don't know what to say, always start (laughs) off with, well, look, there are three things. <laughs> yes. And you know, you know, as you say the first thing, the idea of what the first one is will come into your head. Right. And then right. the second one. And then the third one is always the, the tricky one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking as I listened to it, I... I mean, in coming to you now, I'm actually talking to you like um, I would talk to my friends rather than like I would talk to people I work with in business or perhaps potential clients that I'm working with. And so I wouldn't say this to a client, but the best way I can describe what I do is actually I wouldn't so much use a dance or a race. I would choose and there's no way to say this but like falling in love or a race mm. or making out or a race or dare I say to acknowledge the existence of sex have making love or a race and so for me when we when we're talking about these concepts of love it's far easier to connect them to work mm. because when when you want when you want someone when you when you like someone and you want them to like you There is no, like Gary said, there's no finite destination and it's a balance. And you're always trying to be aware of where you are and where the other person is and be exactly where is the right place for you to be, either close or farther farther away. And for me, work and the part of work that I do, which is not the technical part, which is the people part, is about being able to to be in that place of of actually figuring out where all the people need you to be. Uh, and I have trouble with that analogy because people don't like, it's not that people don't like the word love, but when you go into a business and you start talking about kissing people and making love and love, people get really uncomfortable. Um, and I think dance is actually, um, is a useful click in because it's not saying directly love. But when we talk about dance, it's kind of what we're ta- we're talking about the physical manifestation of love. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to steal that when I'm talking to tightly wound corporate people.
1: Yeah, can I add one thing? To yeah. That? Yeah, go ahead, Gary. Um, in hearing Stefan talk, it reminded me of something I heard recently is create so it was a phrase like this, create from love, not for love. Huh. Ooh. Because if you're creating from a place of love, and now bringing it all back to work. Um, you are doing it for the love of whatever it is. Like you, you know, you would do it even if you didn't get paid. Yep. I know no one will ever say that. Let's just be honest. No one will like, will say, you know, I'm I'm just doing this because I just love being a janitor. But like, imagine if you could come from that place of love, not for love. And, and so um, I hang around a lot of people that put, uh, their art and their videos out on the internet. And, and I know I've been in this place where it's like, all right, did you like it? Did you like it? So like uh-huh. you're creating for love as in mm-hmm. I put this out there. Mm-hmm. I hope you like me. I hope you like it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's, it's like, um, one of these things where it's a drug where you will never get enough approval to be like, <clears throat> I'm good. But like, imagine mm-hmm. if you could create from a place of love, how would things be different?
3: Right.
0: Mm. So Jeff, I'm going to go, go to you now and talk about this connection between love and business because you guys are right. We don't normally associate those two. Um, and Jeff, you've connected at least at the level of, of, of dance, um, something joyful, something possibly intimate. What, what it, but when you're talking to like business people, how do you make that connection for them? How do you help them make that leap?
3: The way in which I do it is I talk to them about why they started the business in the first place. You know, well, it's, it's interesting that a lot of times and you even hear this with bands when they talk about what was the most enjoyable times. It was not when they were killing it and they were at the top. It was when mm. they were in their garage. It was mm. when they were messing around. It was when no one mm. was paying them, when no one believed in them. And it was just a, like a group of three or four people with this crazy mm. idea. And they just believed so much so in it. And that's the, that's the part that I want to tap, um, you know, organizations back into when they're like, why did you start this in the first place, man? Because like mm. whatever you did, yeah. you forgot about it. And everything mm. that you wanted to create is now so mm. corporate and so serious because you're trying to fit some mold of like what it should be. And when you mm. first started this, Think about it when you first start creating something you don't want to follow the rules because in order to if you follow the rules you're just going to create what's already been created but if mm. you're willing to just go crazy and play yeah. right with no results, yes fully focused then you're you're open to so many opportunities of where this might go and so, that is the that's the state you need to be like in that especially during like a time like now where no one knows what's going on. It's just like, dude, this is the time for you to play. Not for you yes. to get scared and, like, and, and not take any risks, mm-hmm. but, but to actually get super creative and tap back into the love that you have for your organization. So
0: even, mm-hmm. in, even in normal situations, you know, what, what you're describing there is you have people who are passionate, they, they had a vision, they were excited. And then over time, as they gained success, that faded. Yeah. And other things replaced it, uh, structure, whatever. Why does that happen? From what you've observed of the people you work with, why does that tend to go away?
3: I think it happens, and I'd love to hear everyone else's opinion on this. It's just like when you were a kid. There was a moment when you stopped going to the playground and then you never went again because you felt like, oh, well, I want to be an adult or this is how a teenager is supposed to act. And when you become mm-hmm. a company, right, you make your organization, you're having a lot of fun. And then you're like, oh, well, I, you know, we, we, we got to get funding or, you know, we got to apply for a, you know, a new series, whatever. You know, we, we have to now be the next X, right? The next Facebook, the next Uber. So you start pretending like you're an adult or you're pretending like you're this like serious business you know and you forget the whole joy of why you created this in the first place because you want to be validated you want to be accepted and it ties back into what gary said that's when you're like looking for love instead of just creating for the sake of
1: creating mm-hmm. so gary what what are your thoughts there yeah i agree 100 uh on what on what jeff said it's it's one of those things where I feel like once you start, once you start getting serious because you think you have to get serious, that's when things can go awry. Um, I know this firsthand because I worked uh, like one of the jobs early in my career. Uh, I worked for this uh, digital marketing agency. And when I started working with them, I was like employee 23, 33 small you know amount, and we were completely scrappy, didn't know what the hell we were doing. The company started as a piece of software, a marketing software, and then the you know they got some really big clients like intel and and um, a few other like big tech companies, and then those companies said, "Oh, uh, well, we need some people to execute. Do you have an agency?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah." an agency and then they like hired all these people to like to figure this out and we're like completely scrappy um and for the first two years like we were figuring out there was tons of play like you know we were just doing pranks on each other and all these other things and then we grew um i remember like i blinked and then all of a sudden it's like three four years later and we have like 150 employees worldwide And then they're like trying to get serious. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day and I was like, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, this is probably the catalyst. They, as a way of getting serious, they were redoing their values and they had an all hands meeting. And they had, at the time they had 11 values. They were on like inspirational type posters hung up on the wall, you know, for each value. And they wanted to consolidate because they thought 11 was too much. And fun was one of their values and they took fun down i remember when they, oh, took, they took it they took it off the wall they were consolidating and Jesus. um so, so fun, gary i've got i've got to, i've got to
0: ask how do you sell that to the employees like you know what fun was a <laughs> value it's not anymore
1: i know like it was like it's again it's like one of those things where they think that they're doing the right thing mm-hmm. and like oh everyone's gonna love this we're consolidating like fun i remember fun got taken off and again, we were just like, we didn't know the ramifications of this, but it was replaced with excellence. The company was a Six Sigma company in that Six Sigma is that you have 98.999% accuracy, which meant that mistakes were not an option. Uh, And so then like fast forward, like another like year or so, and then we're all stressed out. Again, the work didn't change. Mm. We still have these clients that beat our ass. Mm. We still have the same amount of work. You know, maybe we had a little bit more, uh, but we had more employees, but it got even more serious and stressful. And so it's one of those things where, um, and this is the thing with play and, and fun is that some people have the wrong perception of it. They think, oh, that's just goofing off, or that's just what kids do. They don't realize that it's we're wired for play and so they think oh we have to become a real business which means that we need to do real business things and i've seen these other real businesses and they say things like excellence and stuff like that and then yeah. as an employee like we just got burnt out and then the smart ones left and uh, mm-hmm. i ended up leaving too like it was just like you know and then again the company still survived they ended up getting bought out by another company is still around But no one wants to work in an environment like that.
2: Mm. Yeah, I I think that's... that's, uh, Can you imagine? I mean, you don't need to imagine because you saw it. But Can you imagine the walking up to the poster while people are in the office and the symbol, the ritual of removing fun in my mind... It was like a, it was, it's like a pallbearer. There were four people that came and took it down and wrapped it in a shroud and carried it out on a beer and then burnt it outside. It's, I mean, and it's, that, that's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. I, I think, uh, I, one, I think values, values words. Um, it's, uh, I love the genesis of where it came from, but we've evolved now. And I have this thing where I don't think we should use words anymore. I think we should tell stories. Mm -hmm. So rather than have the value of fun, you should have a story about when fun was really useful. And when someone goes, what's your values? You tell the story of that because it's living and breathing and true. Whereas if a bunch of people go, we value fun. Well, they could be the most boring, like not fun people in the world, but they've said, let's do fun because they're always the same five. They are always the same five collaboration, What are they? Collaboration, like some form of excellence. There's a list and they're all exactly the same. Um, But then the the other, I think the other, the other point for me is that um, I think we, we, and I'm talking about us here, have to do a better job of really nailing down this play thing and I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to my colleagues that do it because there's a few of us that are doing the play thing. And I think and this has come from my actor training because I trained at like a serious acting school. We are serious actors and we do Chekhov and blah, the feelings. Um, I wasn't particularly good at it. I worked hard, but I wasn't particularly good at it. And we also did clown stuff. And... One of the biggest moments for me was when we started to learn proper clown mm-hmm. and the idea of the clown is that they can make you laugh or they can make you cry. And it's the same process to get to it. It's still play and it's still fun. And you're always searching for a game, but sometimes the game is hard. <laughs> so I think one of the reasons why people brush it off is because we, in our attempt to encourage people to come play, we keep, we keep promoting that it's silly which it is, but it's also bloody serious as well. Like, and the idea that someone can approach, our business is going to go bankrupt. How can we do this with fun and play? You totally can, but it's a a mindset of like, it is enjoyable to have this problem to solve together. Um, You can grieve with fun. Mm -hmm. You can like, you can leave a lover with fun. Now that doesn't mean that it's easy and enjoyable, but it means that it's fun. And I think even my trying to explain it shows you how difficult it is to make that link for people. So I think that as well as Jeff's reason, I think that's another reason why fun becomes a hard thing because I, I believe people when they say like, we don't know how to have fun and do a hard thing. That's really tricky and we need to be better at helping people get there. I think.
0: So, Along those lines, let let me ask then, I I suspect, and you guys can obviously tell me for sure, that fun is seen as, at best, a a side benefit. Like, you know, once we nail all the other business stuff down, then sure, fun would be great if people had it, but, you know, it's, it's it's not the business business. But that's not what you guys are describing. I mean, Gary, you had a great example there. And Stefan, I'm confident stories were told about the value of fun no longer being a value um, mm. <laughs> as mm. it came down.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh that reinforced that. So how how do we shift? And, and I, I know you were kind of exploring this problem there, Stefan. How do we shift from like fun is this the side thing to Fun is a, is a vehicle or a center point. I, I don't know how you guys would describe it, but, you know, it is the way that we get to mm. where we're trying to get to. <laughs> and, and Jeff, what are your
3: yeah, thoughts? I, I, I always like to go back to, like, you think of what 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 are the most innovative, creative, dope-ass ideas you came up with. What were you doing during that time? You were not scared. You were not, like, in some boring brainstorming meeting, you were do, you were taking some risk and you were getting super excited about that. That fun is why there are so many of these major organizations that are, you know, having massive impacts around the world. Like when you watch Elon Musk and his team cheering on there you know, at SpaceX, when, when that thing is launching and that thing lands and they all lose their fricking mind, That is fun and production at the same time, you know? Mm. They are killing it. They are kicking ass and they're enjoying that. You think any of those people are going to leave? Even if the, even if like their salaries got cut, a lot of them would be like, mm. my meaning is here because I know I'm making a huge impact and I'm enjoying the process while I'm doing it. And I think a lot of times we get so focused on the results because we're adults and it's so black and white, win or loss, good and evil, And we forget about the process and like the process, the fun is what keeps people at your organization committed and working harder for you than you ever thought possible. Mm. Gary,
1: what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And to add on that, I like to use different words because uh, I feel like fun has like a, you know, it's sort of tainted. Also, happiness Mm. is sort of tainted happiness, like I feel like in order to be happy, like, you need to get something. Um, And I like to use uh, the word joy. Um, Mm. And I like to say, when you have joy, joy doesn't always mean that it's going to be sunshine, sunshine and rainbows. And Mm. going back. um, So I, I do rag on running but I do feel like it's an effective way to, uh, to lose weight. Uh, so I do push myself to run, um, but I don't always like it. Matter of fact, I hate, hate it most of the time. But it's that moment when you cross the finish line and you say, mm. I freaking did that. You have this moment of joy. Getting to that point was hard. It was very challenging. And thinking about play, and this is why, like, I feel like play needs to be a mindset because if you're playing a game, regardless of if it's a digital video game or sports or whatever the case may be, you're going to run into obstacles. It's not going to be all, you know, Mm. cake, cake cakewalk, but you embrace those obstacles. Matter of fact, you welcome them because there's like, Oh, that means I'm getting better. And Mm. when I did, um, when I did my TEDx talk, I was talking about when I was a kid, one of my favorite Nintendo games was super Mario brothers three. And I welcomed the challenge like so much Mm. so that me and my friends will get together and we will strategize, All right. How are we going to get past this level? Like, and then we didn't do it. And then we were like, yes. All right, cool. We got a little bit further, but, um, but imagine like, if you took that mindset, like, and brought it to business, it would be like what Jeff talked about, because if going back, using SpaceX as, um, as an example, most of their missions failed. I remember watching one of the live streams and it's like, uh Oh, that's not going well, oh my gosh. Mm. But still everyone was so, like they were so encouraging and they were happy the fact that we got that far. And now we get to go and rework it. So it's, it's a mindset thing.
2: I uh, I think um, all of that, <laughs> all of that and, um, uh, and this has come up a few times in this conversation while I've been listening, I've written down Know Yourself, or, or, I don't know the Latin. I wish I knew the Latin because I'd sound really smart if I no, went no, yeah. nostrum. Yeah, I could have Googled it, but I didn't. Um, uh, but I think if we're talking about what the block is to being in this state, I think we always have to view no one chooses to do something that doesn't work for their company or themselves, no one makes that choice. And so we've got to look at why it happens. I think one of the reasons is that, and someone mentioned kids before, you look at children and they have the capacity to play and learn because their brains are hardwired to acquire information. And we know that when you learn, if you are engaged, and engagement is just another word for love or fun. <laughs> it's, the, it's the way corporates get away with saying love is are the engagement scores high well it's love that's what anyway um so they're engaged because they need to learn because their brain needs programming so we give them the gift of play that's what our brain invented play and fun for to be able to do that and then as we get older and i think you're right when we talk about the teenager thing jeff like We go into teenage land and then our brain is about establishing social hierarchy, which is very important. So play becomes less of a thing. And it's very important for us to figure out where we sit in the pecking order of monkeys and how that works. And then the rediscovery of that sense of not knowing and an empty computer that you're trying to fill by playing with the world, by interacting and seeing what happens when you drop the pen, like, it's all the same principle, but we have to get back to the core of what people are. And I know that in the Imperfect Action podcast that I did, I just went on a rant and a tangent about selfhood. And for me, in doing this work, that's been where I've been pointed now. It's, I've been going in and being like, hey, you should all play. And everyone's like, great, yes, totally with you. And then I come back three months later and no one's playing. And I'm like, ah, but I know the desire was to play. So what's stopping? And I think it's this not knowing yourself, not being in touch with, there's so many trite words to use, but like your inner child, your blah, 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 blah. But if you don't know yourself, you can't know your desires. If you don't know your desires, you can't find a thing that is engaging for you to play with. Particularly men. Um, are socialised in the West to not be in touch with desire or pleasure in any way, shape or form. And so they take up boxing or sports because they're a way, I think, for them to access that childish way of like rolling and, and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's about bringing people back to themselves so as they can find their joy. And I don't, I don't even know how to do it. I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, Be- because it's it's interesting for me when uh, I, w- I was speaking to my girlfriend. And I was like, "Oh, you know, they're doing some presentation the other day." And she's like, "Yeah, I had to do two slides on it, and then other people presented their slides, and other people presented their slides, and it was just everyone was bored the whole time as you we were watching it." And I was like, "Oh, that's just show and tell. Like you're just doing yeah. show is <laughs> just show and tell. And tell, yeah, it's like totally same." pretend that you were doing as a kid you now are pretending mm-hmm. as an adult but you mm-hmm. are taking on a role that you don't even like to pretend to be but you have yeah. to now like oh, i have to wear a suit i have to wear this costume i have to act this certain way and you're right it's this whole point of like do you even like that role do you even yeah. want to play that role and And getting people to that point where they're like, no, I don't. And that is the part, that's the opening where you
1: then can be like, all right, then let's do something different. Get and Morpheus from uh, from The Matrix. That's Jeff.
2: The Pills. I, I I would argue as well, even the role that you're describing where they walk into the room. Now in Clown, you can go, what role are you playing? Uh, I think I'm being, I think I'm trying to be like a businessman mm-hmm. and you can be like, cool. All right. Well, why don't you really try to be a businessman and make fun of it at the same time? Now, if someone walks into a presentation being like, Oh, look at me. Do you, people engage with this classic clown trick is to right. take the archetype and then blow it up and go like, be the hugest version of whatever you might as well do it. Cause you're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Yeah, I think because there's so so much fun in that. So even just using that, you know, I I think that's really, really super powerful. But also the idea that people would make presentations where they know everyone's bored and not stop. Like, I don't get it. I'm like, when I'm doing a presentation and people are bored, I'm like, oh, everyone, (laughs) let's not do this anymore. This is not a good thing for anyone to go through.
0: Well, I think that comes in the business basics kit that all business people get right. The presentation has to be mind numbingly dull. It goes with the values on the wall. All comes in the box. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, well, let, let's shift a little bit, or, or I guess it's more just building on where we're already headed. Uh, and the idea around just, I mean, Stefan, you'd mentioned not knowing yourself and I, I suspect that also connects with how it's showing up is just comfort in being yourself. Like, mm. how do you get to that stage? Because if you're not comfortable being yourself, that's when you go for the, you know, kind of the fake business person or here's what I think business people do. So I'm going to do that. Here's what companies do. So we're going to do that. Yeah. That's kind of scary, though. I mean, because if being comfortable being yourself weren't, we'd we'd all do it. it, it we wouldn't even be talking about it. Right. Sure. So there, th- there's a hurdle yep. there. Well, I All right. So, um, and and like everyone just started to answer once there. So Gary, uh, what what are your thoughts here
1: first? On that of, of be yourself and easier said than done. Um, I know one of, one of the things for me growing up uh, before uh, fourth grade, I was in a different school every year. Uh, We, we moved around. uh, My parents changed schools and I know like as a kid, you're like fitting it. Like it's just, part of our DNA of like, you know, being part of the tribe and stuff like that. And so I got very good of like, all right, who do I need to be in this situation? And Mm -hmm. it just became like a survival mechanism. And I feel like um, when you go into this business thing, most people, as Jeff said, we have no idea what the hell we're doing. We're making it up, but we don't want to give off the fact that we don't know what we're doing. And so Mm -hmm. we subscribe to the archetype of the business person. And it's easier to just be boring And do what we think we have to do, because it's just like, oh, well, whatever. I wasn't really being myself, so, you know, who cares? Where Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability. And vulnerability means that you just are allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Well, again, our lizard brains aren't wired for that, because if we were vulnerable, that means we could be attacked. Mm. And that's scary, and no one wants to be attacked, you know Mm -hmm. um and i feel like our brains when you think about giving the presentation being yourself it's lighting up the same parts of your brains as if an actual tiger is about to attack you you're Mm -hmm. having that fear Mm -hmm. response and Mm -hmm. it's just easier to just be someone else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of interesting so i'm i'm imagining you
0: know being in the meeting and uh worried about not wearing the right tie not having the right outfit and uh my brain going to the same threat level as you know a tiger in the bushes kind of thing and, and what that does because you know it strikes me that when there's uncertainty we probably go to um quieting ourselves yep. to, to not being uh-huh. vulnerable to not showing ourselves mm-hmm. stefan your,
2: your thoughts um it's really interesting i think this is like the core of where the discussion Like, this is the important part of the investigation. Um, And it makes me, all I can think about is my experience as a human person moving through the world. Um, And admittedly, they're all so different based on culture, context, privilege, all of the things that are attached to it. Um, But it makes me think about, well, what makes it okay for me to be closer to myself and what, when am I not closer to myself? And I think a really important caveat is it's only safe to be vulnerable if the space is safe for you to be vulnerable in. Sure. So a big one that I say, and I'm sure other people do it, is vulnerability is really good. It's got all these benefits, but do not do it if you are not in a safe place to be vulnerable because there are managers and bosses that wait for someone to do it and they take them out. And if you're not doing it, it's probably because it's not safe. So I got to a point in my work where I was like, I can no longer work with middle, I have to use a hierarchy, but middle to lower level of an organisation because I keep working with them and everyone going like, great, yes, awesome, be vulnerable. However, Frank is ready to take me out. And so it has to come from the top. And I'm really lucky because I'm working with an organisation where it is fully from the top. And the difference in this organisation is unbelievable it is I have I have cried three times since starting this job because of what leadership says to the people that work with them and the level of care and support um so I think there's that and then there's also like to be honest the the and this is the hard point that you have to get to with people the reason why I have a capacity to be vulnerable and make sales and do all the good things and feel connected is because I have gone on an intense journey of self discovery. Mm-hmm. So I, I often reference, um, Paris is burning the, um, documentary about the New York ballroom scene. If has, has anyone seen that here? No, it's, uh, it is one of the seminal works to come out of your country. Oh my Lord. Watch this documentary. It's about the any. ballroom scene in the New York, in, in, the, in the New York, in the New York, in the 80s. Yes. Um, and, and by ballroom scene, I mean like the queer community, mostly gay men and drag queens were put on these shows. This is where drag performance came from. Ooh. And they talk, they do these things. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So not only, I didn't know this, but drag is like gender messing with but also it's role messing with. So there are these competitions where queer men dress up like businessmen and they walk and everyone in the room watches them. And the person who wins is the person who passes. So it's this idea of being able to pass in a community, not that they were flamboyant, but they looked like a businessman walking in a suit because these people did not have access to that world. And it was putting on the role of, and I think when we talk about role in an organization and putting on the business thing and passing, you can also do that safely and vulnerably when you realize that you're putting on a role and you're playing the role. Um, and for me, I realized in, in dealing with my sexuality in dealing with my mental health in dealing with all of those things, I realized that there were all these roles that I could choose to pick up and put down when I wanted to. And in, when you do that, you also notice, well, if there are these roles, what's the core part of me that never changes? Mm. And acting is really good for learning this. And so I love all my roles that I can take on. Right now I'm taking on the role of smart guy who knows the things, yeah? It's fun, but it's not me. And when I wanna take it off, I put it down. Right. The closest I get to finding me is when I think about my intimate relationships with my family, friends, and my lovers. And that tells me who I am and it's a core that I can attach myself to while I play all these other roles. I don't know if that rant made sense, but <clears throat> here endeth the rant.
0: <laughs> so, so I feel like I should ask uh, a brilliant question after that. I, I don't think I'm quite up to the task. Fortunately, uh, Jeff had something he wanted to say. Yeah, here.
3: I, um, I've been coaching a few people that are in very stiff hierarchical, large organizations where like, you know, in the situation where it's not going to come from the top down, like as much as you would love it to, they're just such huge thousand person organizations. So um, those situations, and I agree with Stefan in the sense of like, you do have to know where your vulnerability is, but I'm all about the small wins. So like Mm. I, I was working with somebody who, she loves wearing unicorn costumes like that's what she does like when she's not she wears that unicorn pajama that you know that is so comfortable. like that's who she is but in her organization she can't do that so it was like okay let's look at the small ones first it was like okay maybe i'm just gonna wear these unicorn earrings maybe i'm gonna start putting unicorns around my my little desk area and then maybe <laughs> finding other people that are like nerding out in the same way and it's like what is your what is that fancy term like locus of control, but what yeah. can you create? What safe mm. space can you create within your small team to just nerd out on just one thing, anything, you know, you're, you're like, you're wrestling figures and you're like, you know, in your cubicle or, or the fact that you're going to like nerd out on Star Wars and we're going to like slip, we're going to watch it like after, after work and do happy hour like in the conference room. Like how can you, how can you slip in some play there almost as like a rebellious act because if <laughs> you start to do that, then you start to change the culture from the ground up. Because frankly, I've never seen, I wish I was in Stefan's organization, but I've never seen it coming from the top down. It comes from the ground up because those are the people that are like in the trenches and are like, man, this is BS. This is bullshit. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. This,
1: this is not healthy. Yep. One thing to add on that, uh, Jeff, I agree. I haven't seen too many from the the top down. However if you think about like um, transactional analysis. Uh, So thinking about when I mean transactional analysis, I mean transaction as in communication transaction. Um, And we are wired to understand authority and then Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And a lot of it is unconscious. So that's why as a leader, you need to realize that you have an impact on your team and if you and it's funny because a lot of you know, people that, you know, I'm sure we all work with, they're all like, yeah, we need innovation. We need all these things. And however, if you were to evaluate them, are they uh, modeling the behavior that they would like everyone to have? Or mm-hmm. are they saying one thing, but behaving a certain way? And that is going to become the identity of the culture. And mm. going back to the examples that I mentioned earlier, uh, when we were a play, you know, you know, we had fun and we got work done and all this other stuff. Our, the founder of the company, Dima, was the biggest goofball out there. Yeah. And he got to a point where he's like, well, you know, this is above what I can bring the company. And they brought on the other, uh, the the other CEO. Uh, and he was a cowboy and um, he was like literally a cowboy, like that I'm not just saying that because he was very sort of like uh reckless, but he was yeah. yeah, he he lived on a ranch in Temecula and stuff like that. Uh but he was known for like getting companies sold and and then the whole sort of vibe changed. And it was the type of person and and it was interesting because like having empathy for this guy, I think he thought he was doing what he needed to do, but we all saw through that. And I realized that I was blinded until my wife she had to snap it out of me. Um, after I started getting promoted, we went to the Christmas party, and um, CEO came up to my wife and he was like, "Gary's doing a great job. We know he's working a lot. This is going to change, soon. you know." And then, like I'm like, I believed it. Like, yes. Funny thing. Fast forward a year later, Christmas party next year, comes up to my wife, says the exact same thing. Wow. Yeah. and my wife because she wasn't she's not in it yeah she's she's like he said that to me last year i've only (laughs) Mm -hmm. talked to your boss or the ceo of the company twice he said the exact same thing and then the third year he did it again i kid you not (laughs) he said it again and so like by then i was like done anyway but he thinks he's saying the right things but he's like modeling the you know the behavior so I know that if you think about the top places to work and all these things, they have leaders that model like a playful spirit. And everyone keeps talking about Steve Jobs and this, that, and the other. Apple was successful despite
2: his behavior. If
1: Steve was in any other position in the organization, it would have just been a toxic environment. Yeah.
2: People would have... Mm. makes me think of uh um uh what's the oh, wh- who made up what's the the studio that made pixar. the movie up pixar so there's a book called creativity inc which is about how they got their stuff working now that to me is a perfect example of how fun can be hard work so and and engagement, all that stuff, but wow, is it a rigorous progress and all a process. And also they apply it to all levels of the organization. So it would not surprise you to know that the organization I am working for is a startup. It has 20 people. And the person who founded it is also the person that is setting the tone for the organization. That's why it's good. And everything that is applied to one person gets applied to everyone. And everyone is in a a process of self-discovery and self Knowledge, um, and so therefore the work um, can can actually get done. Um, and I have had the same thought about Steve Jobs. It sounds horrible. It sounds like a horrible experience to work with Steve Jobs. Um, and and really, I I hear Jeff in terms of like there are th- what I'm getting frustrated with now, particularly during this pandemic, is <sighs> you go on LinkedIn, and there is every and it is man, every man and his dog, uh, and all who are over um, 50 years old, and in my world, all who are white, telling everyone else, here's how you get through a pandemic. Yeah. I've got through about I've got through about 50 of these before. Mm-hmm. This oh. is how you do it. You do it like this, you do it oh. like that. You make sure people are doing productivity, yeah. you you measure their keystrokes, you do all of that mm-hmm. bullshit. And I get really angry because The the other thing that we need to recognise is the reason that this problem exists is not because the problem has always been there, but society and the context has changed. And a way of doing work that worked before and was good and healthy and safe, well, for what we had, um, was necessary. But the context has changed. The dinosaurs need to be taken out. There was an article written recently that was talking about the countries that have had the best response to COVID. Um, Do you know what they all have in common? Led by women. Yeah. All led by women. And I think there is a thing. uh, Now, gender is such a weird thing, and I'm talking in the context and the way we live in a gendered society. Um, There are discussions about how much of it, what are the reasons for it, however... Looking at leadership in my world, the leaders who are doing the best job are all women. Yeah, And I yes. attempt as a male to um, to learn from female leadership, not from male leadership, because the paradigm is shifting. Um, we're getting more bonobo-like. We're getting more big groups needing to really talk and, and have empathy, but also not not just um, compassion, but also accountability, which is the the thing that we don't talk about because fun is only fun if there is a boundary put around it that makes people be safe. Um, And so I, I have been watching all of that and thinking, well, we now, not only, Jeff do we need to do the small wins, but it is our job now to stand up and say, no, like... I'm, I'm feeling like getting on LinkedIn and like doing that to the people that are pretending like the world is the same as it was. Um, and we need to advocate for the change happening at the top. It needs to start with the CEO. And I'm sorry if you are leading a bunch of people and you are responsible for their welfare. If you are not doing work on yourself to see what biases and bullshit you carry, yeah. you are hurting people that you work with. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. But it means if you're not even looking at yourself, then you need to leave and not do that job anymore. That's yep. what, that's my, yeah. So, so you, you touched on um,
0: some characteristics there. So that's where I'm curious, you know, um, gender aside at, from your guys' experience, what are some of the, the characteristics or, or the, the attributes that seem to do leadership better? <sighs> like what could we emulate
3: yeah i well my friend angie cole speaks about this a lot about like and there is something to embrace around like masculine leadership versus feminine leadership you know feminine leadership in some ways is much more process oriented than results oriented it's much more empathetic than not empathetic like if you think of if you think of how what hap- what happens when you do good work now in in most capitalistic societies. If you do good work, then you get more work given to you. That's it, which is, which is irrational because it's not sustainable. It's just like, I'm going to reward you by giving you just more crap to do. And, and a, a different way of, of, of doing that is to reward like, whoa, you did such an amazing quarter. Let me give you some time for you to work on your own projects, because I'm thinking about the sustainability of you for the next like Mm. five, 10 years. I want you here for a while. But as long as we continue to believe that we can squeeze every inch out of somebody, especially like during this this time of quarantine, where we expect them to be as productive as they were before, and where we- More
2: productive. Yeah, more,
3: more productive, and that we are attaching your, we're forcing people to believe the myth that your self worth is attached to your productivity, and we keep mm. selling that BS story. Then I agree with Stefan. We need to flip the freaking table on that shit because it's mm. ridiculous if you want to build a sustainable organization. And it goes back to what Gary said at the beginning. What are you trying to do? You're trying to build it. Are you playing the infinite game? Are you playing the finite game? And mm. and how, and question your leadership of like, what am I trying to achieve? Do I care just about what's happening in the next six months? Or do I really care about these individuals for the next few years or longer? You know, that's mm. how mm. start.
0: Well, so along those lines, you know, Gary did mention that there is no finish line to business, but we treat it like there is. And yes. we, we treat oh it like that, that there's this moment in time where you've won and you're done. So how would we lead differently if we just embrace that idea that, you know what, it's not going to end. There's not a finish line. There's not this moment in time where we declare winner, declare loser, and I'll go home. Um, You know, it's not like baseball in the sandlot. How would we approach that differently either as a leader or
1: just as a human, you know, we're showing up to work. I think it goes back to, uh, you know, a quote that I'm pretty sure we all heard. Um, the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. if, if we saw like, like it's like, I think it, I don't know who it was. It was some wise person that said, you know um, we have these things that we need to do is, you know, we need to love, we need to work hard. And I feel like they left out play, you know, in there. And so if we all realize like, yes, we have a responsibility to work, you know, that's great. Have an organization, you know, it's going to bring us self-satisfaction. It's going to allow us to support our families, but more importantly, how can we create an environment where as Stefan mentioned, we have that safety where we can bring our full self to work because I feel like that's where all the problems are is that people aren't allowed to be their their full selves. There's all this unspoken um, sort of rules. And so someone is going to see something, but they don't feel like they can speak up. You know, we are all in those meetings that are boring as hell, but no one feels safe enough to raise their hand and say, like, do we have to do this? We just feel like we have to follow that, you know, follow the the order. Because it's like, well, you know, I, I don't want to speak up because I don't want to get told off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes back to also what Stefan said is it comes from the top down. Like the leaders and um, Simon Sinek, he talks about, um, I think it's his book, Leaders Eat Last, where he talks about mm-hmm leaders as a leader, your job is to take care of the people that are in your care. Um, That is your job as a leader, Like is to make sure that the people that are in your care are well taken care of, because if they're well taken care of, they're going to do good work and then your customers are going to be happy. And if you think about a wolf pack, the leaders are the ones in the back. The ones in the front are the, the older ones, the wiser ones, and then, you know, whatever. But the leader of the pack is bringing up the rear. So like, how can we create that environment where people just feel like, all right, yeah, I, I love this. Because if you think about the best places to work, um, they are different from all the other sort of companies in that they have a tenure of like, I don't know, like years.
2: Mm-hmm. It's really, I, I, I think this question of like, what I love is, I love having big esoteric conversations and then I really love it when someone goes, okay, so all of that, what do you do? (laughs) Like, and that's what I hear when I hear the question, like, how do we lead? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, all right. And I mean, listening that these, like, I actually think there are a few things that you could say are the new form of leadership, or at least, From the Stephen Bramble observation of what works well, um, I think there are some things that are foundational and knowing full well that in 10, 5, 10, whatever amount of years, these will probably need to change as well because it's it's a dance. The context is changing, the society is changing, and so will leadership. But I reckon, like, number one, you have to have a balance of compassion and accountability and you have to do both. The best one that I've heard, and I may have said this in the last podcast because I love it, um, compassion without accountability is enabling. Accountability without compassion is shaming. You can't do either and people make the mistake of doing both. Um, I think you have to burn your own wood or another way of saying that is you've got to, in, you've got to honestly look at your own biases and that is a really challenging and also and it's an act of self-love to realise that you were brought up in a society that promotes chauvinism and whether you like it or not, whether you are a man, woman or any number of the other genders, you have inherent chauvinism in you because we've been doing this for 5,000 years. And if you think you don't have to do the work, then you're probably wrong. Um, And that's only one aspect of bias. Um, You've got to be open to the tribe. You, You have to be open to your tribe. So there's two ways of thinking. There's the external face that you put on in your organisation. That can be as performative as you want it. In fact, it should be. But your internal face, you have to be so open to anyone who is part of your tribe. Um, your intention has to be really clear. So you actually have to, you can make as many mistakes as you want to make, but if your intention is not pure, you are. that's that's when you cause a problem. When you stuff up, but your intention is, I wanted to do the right thing, people feel it. And I learned this from the trans community because when um, I have been told about pronouns and made mistakes, um, that community has been really like, really understanding to be like, I know, I can see you trying. So just keep doing the thing that you're doing. Um, You've got to be comfortable with love and loving the people that you work for. You have to just get over that. Um, and the other one that I was thinking about is you have to go first. (laughs) That's what leadership is. So if you're going to ask something of the organization, you have to do it first and you have to be a light. I was going to say being charismatic so people can see a light in the darkness, but charisma makes people feel that you need to be an extrovert and you can be an introverted leader. You just need to be a person that people can look to and see where they are. So as they know how to follow um, and there's probably about a hundred more things on the list, but I think those to me, if I was to say to someone right now, what do you need to get on top of? It would be those. And the first one I would say is do your intention. Like, cause you can stuff up as much as you like, once you decide that you love the people you work with and you want to help them. Um, yeah. Brock, so it's I- chapter one of my book.
3: <laughs> Brock, can I just add one? Yeah. One- last uh one is um I always love to ask people again what what and why are you why are you getting up in the morning to go to this job what is your why for going to your work mm. what is your why for starting this organization and then but I would add what Gary mentioned earlier is this idea of like okay now that you now that you're saying out loud why is it an infinite why or is it a finite why Because if it's a finite why, this might not be the right organization for you, or that might not align with the core values of the organization. Like if you really want to be there for the long haul, then your why has to be infinite. And if it isn't, then it's just not the right fit. Um, And that's the thing that we need to, because once you establish that, and then as a leader or even as middle management, you're then communicating that out to people where I'm like, I'm not gonna focus on your on your quarterly results. But what I want to see in the next two years is this. And this is what this is how we're gonna do it, you know, and we're gonna make a ton of mistakes, but we're gonna play around with this throughout this and enjoy the process of this. That takes off so much of the pressure than someone that's like, you need to meet these results every quarter, and every quarter that you don't. Your performance evaluation will be a certain way and then you're going to lose your bonus and then I'm going to fire you. And those are two different worlds, right? The world of being able to play in the, in the playground and the world where you are in this like battleground, you know, scary situation.
0: So when we talk about, I mean, we've covered so much ground here guys. And when we talk about like authenticity and we talk about knowing ourselves and we talk about being innovative and creative and accountability and all those pieces. The one thing we haven't really touched on yet is just the idea that we're probably going to fail. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah. that is not um, that's not always viewed well. I mean, like you know, we're just not supposed to fail. You know, as as business people, as people, as humans, like failing's bad. Um, how, how do we fail gracefully? How, how do we get in there knowing we're going to do it? We can't deny it. It's going to happen. That's part of the process of becoming who we are. That's part of the process of being authentic and vulnerable. How how do we feel gracefully? How do we give ourselves the compassion to um, make space for that?
1: I'll go. Yeah, um, Gary. I, I think it comes full circle back to this sort of playful mindset of, uh, we first acknowledging that mistakes happen and that you can't move forward without making a mistake and i feel like language is very powerful and mm. we've been conditioned to have this you know this um you know sort of notion of oh what well, made a mistake oh bad 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 and so anytime you're getting near that like your reptile brain is like bing 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 and you're not going to want to do it, but what if you can reframe it and say, you know what, this is just feedback um, and a short story. And then I'll tell you about something with improv. So I don't know how true this is. So, but a mentor of mine mentioned it and it sounded really cool. I've never validated this. So just, I'm just starting it with that. He had mentioned that bald eagles, um, their their brains is in this sort of chemical, um, And as they fly higher, that chemical starts to harden um, because of the temperature. And so as they get too high, they start to feel this excruciating pain. And that is just a signal to them that they're going too high. They just need to come lower. They don't think anything of it other than it's a signal. Us sort of humans, we look at like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna make a mistake. And we feel pain, but yet we, we do what we are not supposed to do. You know, we do like the opposite. And so if, if we can sort of reframe this as a, mm. you know, this is just part of the process of learning because if think about when we were kids, you know, it goes back to rediscovering, you know, you know, kids get it. My three-year-old son, uh, when he was learning to walk, the dude like was so like, he, he just knew he was like, all right, I just need to learn how to walk now. And he just knew it was a process um he fell down a lot um and not once well granted he couldn't talk but not once did he come up to me and say you know dad this walking thing is not, <laughs> not a good fit for me i'm yeah. just gonna just stick to crawling he like he never said that like he just did it and then he yeah. mastered walking and now the dude is like running and jumping and so i go back to like my training in improvisation is that from day one we like to say like take a failure bow like so when mistakes happen Like everyone is celebrating. So like, how can we start to celebrate that Mm. and shift the narrative with mistakes? We're not talking about Mm. mistakes. Like there's very few people that are like, you know, and not that we need to put all of our stuff online, you know, but very few people are like, you know what? I made a mistake. You know, this is what it is. Mm. Um, Everyone is talking about like, yeah, I got this victory. Like, you know, so how can we change the narrative around mistakes? Because that's where the growth is going to happen. So I'll just step Mm. off the podium. (laughs)
2: So gracefully, Gary. So yeah. gracefully. <laughs> Stick
1: the landing.
3: <laughs> I, Brock, I would I would say at the beginning, you don't fail gracefully. You you just you fall hard and like <laughs> just like just like Garrett, Gary's son, is you fall really hard. Yep. And you look at you look around and you look at all your teammates and you're like, yo. This is where we're at. The whole quarantine is this. It's just failures left and right. And it's mm-hmm. the part of like, as you're on the ground, are you willing to be humble and be like, yo, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, we, none of us know what we're doing. We're all making this up as we go yep. along. And I feel mm. that level of humility is where you have a starting point. But as Stefan said, when you have people that are trying to pretend like the, the experts on quarantines, it's like, really, dude? Were you around in 1918? Were you killing it yeah. back then? And now you yeah. have it again. Like, what are you talking about with your pandemic perfectionists? You don't know either. Nobody knows what they're talking about. So if we could just acknowledge that to begin with, then we all are failing together. And it may not be graceful, but we're all in it together. We're all
2: in the doldrums together. That's... Mm. In in Goliere, which is the the big clown teacher in the world, um, it's the most... (laughs) I spoke about this to Brock last time. Uh, Training with Goliere, the best clown teacher in the world, is one of the most emotionally challenging things I've ever done in my life. and people have breakdowns. When you do clown, all, it is not joyous. It is not a joyous experience. And there's a concept called putting yourself in the shit. And it's this idea that for a clown, because because what a clown does is a clown comes on stage, fully vulnerable, opens their heart and then shows the truth of what it is to exist. And often we laugh because we connect with that thing. Mm. But the only way to do it is to actually genuinely put yourself in the shit on stage and do bad stuff. And then people laugh and they connect with you. And then it's very, 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 very hard to unlearn. Um, But ultimately, it's a really difficult process that involves some catharsis. Um, And I am am dealing with this thing at the moment. Uh, It's called, I'm going to put a bad name on it, but it's called destructive compassion or destructive empathy, where we want to make life so easy for each other because we care and we don't want to hurt anyone, that we never put anyone in any challenge. Um, and so actually, it's really good when your friends set like watch you stuff up and they don't try to rescue They don't go, oh, celebrate your failure with none of that bullshit. The mm-hmm. audience, when you're doing clown and you're shit, the deal you have with the audience is please tell me if I'm shit so as I can get better. So when you're not being funny, no one laughs. Mm. No one tries to do the like, oh, it's funny that you're not good. No, your peers genuinely look at you and go, that didn't work. I know you can do better, but I need to tell you that that didn't work. So I think, again, it's like this accountability thing. Like we are doing play, but we are doing serious play. Clown is serious. It's not, we're not mucking around. (laughs) Weirdly, we're not mucking around while trying to learn how to muck around. And and then also it strikes me hearing this conversation that the other thing that shits me is that we're hearing a lot of people talk about theories and we're not actually seeing people do it. And for me, as the moment you mentioned failure, I straight away wrote down failure is my wood that I still haven't burnt. And so by that, I mean, I still at, at this second, and I can feel it in my heart right now as I talk about it, um, I sitting here talking about failure is a good thing, mate, I'm so scared of it. In this business that I'm in now, um, I had a colleague say, hey, can I give you some feedback? And I went, oh, uh, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want it, I, I, I'm not okay with this. And so I've got to be honest in my role of sitting here and taking on the role of expert <laughs> at um, vulnerability and, and, and failure and say, actually, I'm still not okay with it. And I need to go and do work about my okayness with failure because it still scares the shit out of me. And, and that's the truth. Um, so yeah, and how do I do that? I don't know, I, I, I don't know. That's That's my little piece of work that I'm going away to work on in my little factory of myself. And then maybe I'll have an answer to share about my process about coming okay with it. But to be honest, I'm not when all my gigs got canceled and my business went in the tank during the pandemic, that was yeah. hard and scary. And I didn't want to talk to people about it and I didn't want to tell people about it. And I'm still I still carry embarrassment and I still carry shame. Um, so this is it. What I'm doing right now <laughs> is the thing that we have to do, which is just take, take your shit out of the bag. Put it on the table with people in a situation that you trust, and go. This is my shit. My shit is I don't want to fail, it. and I want to look like I'm I'm on top of everything all the time. <laughs> wow, thank
1: you, Stefan, for for yeah, being so vulnerable. I, I love that. Yeah, you're you're not alone. It's scary. <laughs> you know, yeah. And isn't it? And that <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's scary. And I think this is. It goes back to what you said, uh, Stefan. Is um compassion and accountability. Like those, those clowns, you know, when you're training and you're being put in the shit, the clowns have compassion, you know, as in, you know, they, they know where you're, they know that you could do better. Uh, they're not going to just shame you. Mm. And they're going to hold you accountable. Like those two things is how, how we get better at, at being okay with failure because like, we can't just say it doesn't hurt cause it's going to hurt. Like, let's, let's just mm. be honest. And like Jeff said, when you fail, especially in the beginning, it's gonna hurt bad, like, you know, mm. um, you know, your ego, whatever it is. However, if you don't have that that community, those safe people that you can do
2: that, I don't think we can get better. Yeah. Yep, and it's tribe. So we used to, you know, we, we would sit in a group of like 100 people. At the end of the day, a lot of tribes, there was men's business and women's business. And one of the things that you would do is you'd come to the tribe and you'd say, this is the thing I did today that was shit. So everyone knows. Or the leader would be like, Stefan, I saw that you didn't put the goats away properly. What are you going to say? And it's a way of processing the things together.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and this is why leadership is so important to create these spaces of both compassion and accountability, because we need a place to bring the thing to have help sorting it out, you know? And whether we make this informal thing between four of us today, or whether it's an organization that I've been working with for 10 years, that place has got to exist. And you either have to hire someone external to come in and make it, or if the organization is good, you have the people at the top already making that space for people to bring the thing. Otherwise it just burns in the back of your head until, problems chaos use.
3: right and it's interesting that i see the irony and and we're talking about failure and fear and then we're like hey start having some fun you should have some fun you're not enjoying this time is like you know you know while you're like furloughed or whatever it is that's happening with your organization um and i that's, think that's the part it's it's hard to swallow but it's uh-huh. like you know you can only binge watch netflix for so long right? Mm -hmm. Like you can only numb yourself for so long. And then there's a moment when you're going to have to do some self reflection. And we are just proposing one way of doing it where it's more in a playful way. And you're Mm -hmm. doing that process of, of playing and failing with other people. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that you can finally figure out like who you are, who your team is and who your organization is. And that's just what we've seen work. But we also understand that that's asking a lot of an organization, you know, when you just feel really
1: scared, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. Jeff, you're absolutely right. Like in that, when you're in that scary moment and it seems like it's just too much, you don't seem like you can play because if you want to jump into like the neuroscience of it, um, those are two different States. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: However, without the play, you know, we're not so in improv. We have this concept called yes. And yes, and means that we accept Mm -hmm. the reality and we build. And Mm -hmm. with that mindset is that you accept what's ever in front of you Mm -hmm. and you, you know, you can be honest, like this is scary. And I know that if I can like not take myself so seriously, i create like that moment where i can start to think creatively because stressing ourselves out is not going to get us through this it's just going to keep us going in a circle Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's interesting uh Stefan, you mentioned like the clown i i use this when i talk about creativity i say that there's the clown and then there's the editor and they can't Mm -hmm. exist at the same time Mm -hmm. so if you're ever spinning your wheels it's because the clown and the editor are trying like trying to take control the clown Mm -hmm is where that creativity is going to come from. That's where like, you know, you're just going to just put it out there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like you may suck at it, but you're just going to put it out there. And then the editor's job is to come back and rein it in a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, and in order to be creative and think of creative solutions, you can't be stressed. Mm-hmm. Like when the brain is in a stressed state, like you can't play. Like you just, you look at animals, animals, like most mammals, they play. Um, and unless they don't feel safe, Mm -hmm. And they don't feel safe when they're stressed, so then they won't play. Uh, But Mm -hmm. once you can create that feeling where they, like you release the stress, then they play again. Um, And there's this amazing book that I highly recommend everyone should read. It's by a gentleman named Brad Montague. It's called Becoming Better Grownups. Um, And... Like, it is just amazing. It's an amazing book. I'm not going to get into this because it's not a place to promote this, but there's a moment, <laughs> chapter two is all about playing. And Brad talks about kids, how kids get it. Kids, so he was on this listening tour where he was listening to all of these kids just to learn how to become a better grown up, And he said, kids understood when things are super serious and super stressful, but yet they still allowed space for lightness for like um silliness Mm. like they would go from like you know just being silly and wacky and then a kid would talk about like how he's really stressed out and he's scared about things he heard about on the news and then boom immediately right after that they just go and they're goofing around like Mm. but somewhere along the line we forget
2: yeah i think i think we get attached to the state that we're in so it's like a very adult thing yep. to be like, oh, I'm, I'm depressed now or I'm joyous now. And when you're on stage being a clown, what gets you in the trouble is when the audience can see that your internal emotion has shifted, but mm. you're trying to edit too much and present an idea, whereas the audience is like, no, 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 we can see that you're happy now. And you keep playing sad and then weird choices happen. Jack Nicholson is a really good example of an actor who makes weird choices because a thing moves in him and then suddenly he's picking his nose on the camera for no reason, you know? Um, And yeah, that idea of like letting, letting your internal state be fluid, which you're so right. Kids do it. I've had a kid talk about grieving over death and then two seconds later be like, do you want to play hide and seek? And it's, it's, it's fluid and, 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 and transitional. Um, and, I, and I think that is a really useful thing for us, our older humans who have maybe got a bit more calcified in, in how we approach all of this stuff. But, but really like, this is the hard part because it's, it's a paradox. We're talking about how to play and we're saying you should play. Really the best way for you to get there though, is for you, if you don't want to play, don't play. Yeah. <laughs> like it's also yeah. a choice and it's a very responsible choice to be like, I am not in a state to do this right now. Maybe I will be soon. And, and so we pull back to another layer and really it's about consent and knowing yourself and knowing what your desires are and then working from that place. Um, and, and then the magic can happen.
3: And I, and I think about the awareness idea of like, you only hold an emotion for 60 to 90 seconds, right? And mm-hmm. what adults do is they play that emotion over and over again, while a kid yeah. is able to move from one emotion to the other. And maybe that's the part. If you're not ready to play, fine. But then just be aware of where your emotions are currently going, especially mm-hmm. during this time. And then from there, then you can build from there. That's a good
2: point. Mm-hmm.
0: So as we start wrapping up here, we have covered <laughs> an amazing amount of
1: ground here.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, Brock, thank you for dealing. Perfect
1: timing.
2: <laughs> How are you going to, all right, Brock, now, to stick the landing, tie all of that in a bow. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm ready. Good luck. So,
0: so here we go. A good facilitator's question. Love to hear from each of you. What's your biggest takeaway from this conversation?
2: I don't want to go first because I right. think it's someone else who feels like going first can go first. <laughs> because you're going
1: to say something so amazing at the end, <laughs> Stefan. I mean, no, I think <laughs> Stefan should wrap it up at the end. But you know, <laughs> for, <laughs> uh, for me, for uh, me, it's what Stefan said about having compassion and accountability. And, you know, it, if you have those two things, you can create an environment where play is possible. Uh, That was the first thing. And then the second thing is what Jeff said is acknowledging your state and realizing that, you know, you don't have to always be in a state where, you know, you want to play and that's okay. Um, And it reminds me of a, a book that we got for my son. It was called The Grumpy Monkey. And he, it was about this, this monkey and he was like grumpy. And it was like, everyone's like, you're grumpy. It's a nice day. And he's and then he's like, like your, your, your arms are slunk. And then he's like, you know, he fixed it and he's like, Oh, your elbow or your eyebrows. All right. You're not smiling. He like did all this stuff. And he's like, but I still don't feel good. Like, and then at the end, he had like had this realization. He's like, Oh, but that's okay. I can be grumpy because this will pass. And so, you know, allow yourself. And I feel like to Jeff's point, us adults, we, we get stuck and we don't like we don't allow ourselves to just truly feel the emotion mm. let it pass so those are that's my those are my takeaways
0: mm. nice oh. all right well uh Stephen got volunteered to go last so jeff
3: yeah well my first takeaway was like this was so much fun man i had so much fun this is fascinating to me this i could talk um, about this stuff all day this
1: is super dope. it was amazing
3: um i I love that idea around the clown and how the clown reflects both sadness and joy and humor and is failing. And it's just like, how can I, I embody more of that vulnerability of the clown? Like I love that mm. Stefan like, was so aware enough to be like, I'm struggling with this, I'm super scared. And that that even caused us to go a little bit deeper and not just talk about the theory around it, but be like, dude, we're all scared. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. just because Stefan was willing to be vulnerable at that moment, it changed the conversation to be so much more powerful. And like Mm -hmm. when you're able to embrace that clownness and let go of that editor part, um, you get to such a deeper core of who you are that you never thought was possible. Um, and then I think the other part that that really resonates with me is also just being aware of not being like not staying heady in the theory and then just really yep. being like, okay, let's just be fully present with let's acknowledge what's going on, what Gary said, the yes and, it's shitty. And also, what do I want to do with it? You know, yes. you know, there's possibilities. You know, there's a duality. There's like, I can be happy and sad at the same time. I can be like joyous that I have this time with my family and this time to like reflect mm. on my own self and also freaking scared of what's going to happen when I come out of this. And I and being able to embrace all those complexities and not look for just the, what's the right answer when, and avoid the wrong answer. Because those are just myths. Especially during, Mm. yes.
2: Mm. That's, um, yeah, it's really interesting doing a reflection because often I'm asking people to reflect at the end of a thing and I don't often do it myself. And so all of those points I like, uh, they're they're all takeaways for me. Um, uh, But when I stop and think about what I'm taking away is two things one is my connection to my feelings and my heart so even in just checking in with myself and how i felt and being like oh this is a thing that i feel and being able to express that and feel that so i'm really pleased that i have i didn't always have such a strong sense of what was going on for me emotionally in fact i was quite damaged in that area and so there's a level of pride at being able to actually go ah oh, it's been 10 years of dealing with a nervous breakdown or a mental breakdown. And now I can actually like go, Oh, I feel scared. That's such, I did good in 10 years of therapy. Um, So there's that. And then also what I think about is the connection to, you know, me and Brock have met uh, once, um, but I haven't met either Jeff or Gary before and what amazes me is the capacity for four people to feel connection and support from nothing. Um, And so I'm also taking away some like gratitude to be able to talk to colleagues who are doing the thing and feel a sense of catharsis. But also, aren't we amazing monkeys who we can meet each other over in a fake world This is an imaginary game that we're all playing together, that we're in the same room. Isn't that amazing? Right. And we're all from different backgrounds. Um, and we have different contexts. We live in different governments. And yet there is this capacity to connect and feel supported and loved by people, which I think is pretty amazing. Those are my two.
0: Nice. Well, guys, uh, this has been incredible. Um, didn't quite Uh, know what
2: are your takeaways yeah we're moving
0: on we're we're just we're we're just (laughs) and we're out of time (laughs) well look at it um you know so uh, so a couple things here and and you you gave the advice at the start to say three so there's like three takeaways
3: uh... (laughs) you'll get that third thing in a moment don't worry about it yeah Yeah. just start with the first one take the first step no, I mean it's uh,
0: it, it is such such fun for me to be in, in the the virtual room here with people that are both funnier and deeper thinkers than me. Um, <laughs> Not true. You know, I go back to to the the compassion and accountability being together, and if you only have one, you know, it it, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like, because that to me just kind of got to the heart of you know we we covered a lot of ground, but it all kind of came back to that whether we were talking about leadership or failure or being comfortable with ourselves and who we are um, you know it it all came back to having that compassion and accountability both for ourselves and for other people and and so you know that also ties into vulnerability and everything else we talked about joy Um, so anyway that's just kind of kind of where my brain's been at for for this conversation. So guys, um, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I never had, you know, three guests on from, you know, completely different sides of the planet here. This has been awesome. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks so much. Thank you you for having us, bro. Pleasure. Take care, everyone.